Welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. This is a podcast where we explore thoughts in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. I just want to give a shout out to the Patreon supporters and uh, all the supporters. Everyone who's sharing and liking and commenting, you guys are the best. Uh, everyone who's not, you should feel bad about yourselves. Uh, but seriously, one way you could you could actually help that would be very big would, uh, would be to go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review and a comment. That would be awesome. All the analytics, all that stuff, uh, that would be great. Please go and do that. Uh, I'm really excited for today's podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, theology and some practical theology kind of stuff. But uh, I have one of my former pastors, uh, Joe Thorne. And so I'm, I'm really excited. All morning, I've been geeked up about this. I was in class earlier today, and I kept on hearing in my head this dun, 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 just over and over. So uh, without further ado, let's just pull him in here. Joe, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Oh, man, my pleasure. Glad to be here. Good to hang. Yeah, dude, seriously. Um, so what people don't know, but now they do because I just said it, you know, I was I went to your church for like a year and a half. Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles is awesome. Shout out to uh, the Santa Maria's. I went to their small group. Love those guys. And uh, dude, you've been such a huge help to me. I would just go to the cigar shop and pick your brain on all things theology. So I thought, let's just do another one of those for everyone else to, to hear. Sure. Sounds good. Yeah. So, so um, actually, before we start, I wanted to hawk some of your books, dude. So you got Note to Self here. That's a, a classic one. And then Experiencing the Trinity, a little bit newer. Uh, Note to Self, I, maybe I shouldn't even bring up, but it's part of this, uh, this network of books back in the day from a dude who shall not be named. But Joe, Joe is the man. And uh, that's when I first heard about you. And then I went to your church and I was like, hey, this is like Joe Thorne's church. Uh, you, you started doing Doc and Devo and people at the church were like, oh, Joe? Yeah, Joe's just over there. Yeah, you can go talk to him if you want. That's Joe. I was so encouraged by the fact that like your congregants weren't like, this is Joe Thorne of the podcast and book industry. They're like, that's Pastor Joe, dude. You can go speak with him. Um, so I was really encouraged by that. But I recommend both of these books to, to the listeners. Go and grab those. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, our church is like, normal i mean the the truth is our church knows that i am no big deal i'm a regular pastor here i've written some books small books that have been read by a few people and uh we do have a podcast and it's it does well it does well we uh, we enjoy jimmy and i uh my co-host we enjoy doing the podcast encouraging people beyond the church mm-hmm. at least beyond our local church in uh, reformed baptist theology and practice uh but yeah no we're there's no I mean, people know who I am and what I am. Our church has always been very much a family and it's easy when it's a small church. It's not a, yeah. it's not a big mega church where the pastor can't interact with everybody. Uh, right. cause that just kind of comes with the territory of a large church. So yeah, we try as pastors to be as accessible as possible to, uh, to everyone. Yeah, man. And, and something you guys do really well is you teach, this is what I want to ask about too, but you teach theology and it's not in like a dorky or like a heady way. It's like, this is theology and I live this stuff. And so we're going to talk about it. And that's something that really impressed on my wife, Julie, before we were married, we we're 
uh, we, we would attend church here and there. And you, you were going through a series on the five points of Calvinism. And she was like, I've never heard anyone talk about it like that. That was amazing. And I was like, well, that's cool. I mean, I try to talk to you about that all the time, but you listen to Joe because he got a beard. Uh, that's great. But she, she, we talk about all the time how we love our church now, but we miss Redeemer like big time, man. We, we miss the way uh, the church family for sure, but also the way you uh, teach theology, but in a way that's not, it's not dorky and it's not heady. You, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just for regular folks. Well, we try, I mean, my whole ministry from, you know, for 20 years now, it has, as a pastor has, has been an effort to help people to see that theology is not only important, but that it is comprehensible and mm-hmm. that it is essentially experiential. Okay. So there definitely is an intellectual, even academic aspect to it, of course. But if you can't get the, the basics of theology understood and then see how it connects to piety, then there's really no hope of it bearing much fruit. Mm-hmm. So that's been my emphasis. And, you know, one of the one of the men that I've always admired for this is a man that was much smarter than I will ever be and was much more useful than I will ever be is R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. Sproul was legit genius and yet he wrote and preached to every man mm-hmm. he was always very ac- accessible and he didn't write for the academy he wrote for the church yeah. and I, I think we need a lot more pastors striving to do that uh, we need people in the academy as well but um, we need pastors to to highlight and to champion uh, the truth of god a good robust experiential theology that can be comprehended by everybody in the church yeah dude amen so that that's uh that's what I wanted to bring up, man. So this relationship between like like teaching and preaching, uh, non-academic theology and the lady, uh, like what what's the goal of a of a sermon? Should a sermon be? I don't know. It probably depends. But should it be like giving people information that they go and chew on the rest of the week, or should it be like a, a tight message that prompts them to love the Lord more? Do you know like the the dichotomy I'm thinking of here? Yeah, yeah, sure. A lot of people uh, draw a distinction between teaching and preaching, teaching more at the mind and preaching aimed more at the heart. But I think any good preaching will have as its aim uh, the glory of God as the truth of God impacts and transforms the hearts of God's people. But you can't get to the heart, but through the mind. Yeah, right. You ultimately have to do both. It has to be an exercise of all of our faculties as we interact with the word of God. So Mm -hmm. I think it's important for us to, as, as preachers, to know the text well, to do all of the study, to do all of the, the language research, if, if we have those capabilities, uh, to understand it as much as we can. We get into the weeds with that stuff. Um, we need to preach it to ourselves. Like, we need to be impacted by that truth. And then I think we're best equipped to bring that truth that we've experienced that's beginning to bear fruit in our lives to feed others with it. Like we feed them with the fruit that God has born in our lives. And I would hope that preachers are not aiming at mere information, the old cliche, right? I hope that Mm -hmm. preachers aim beyond information and aim for transformation, right? That's, that's ultimately what we want. We believe that the word of God is a means of grace that is used in conjunction with the ministry of the Holy spirit to bring about, you know, conversion sanctification. So that's, that should be the aim I think in general for, for all preachers. Yeah, dude. Amen. So people have people have different congregations, and if you're, I don't know. I'm trying to think of 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 what would make a congregation different. But I guess if you're around like uh, a university, 
you might have uh, people, a, a lot more university students, and you can preach at a, at a higher level, if you want to say that. And if you're out in the boonies, it might be different. Uh, when you think through, like, your calling, your purpose, the personality God's given you, do you, like, does the pastor preach to his congregation, or does he preach the personality that God's given him, and the congregation will, like, flock to him, right? So, like, if, if you're, like, a blue-collar kind of dude, and you're preaching in a blue-collar way, you might drive away some of the folks who don't like that, but the other folks will come. Is is that how it is, or do you kind of mold yourself to your congregants? Well, I, I think it is in some ways both, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, obviously, every preacher is wired in a specific way, and mm-hmm. we even see this in Scripture, right? Paul is different from Peter, is different from John, and so their personality comes out in their teaching, in their mm-hmm. preaching, and that isn't something that we should try to downplay, Um there's a great book on preaching by John Kessler, K-O-E-S-S-L-E-R, professor of pastoral studies at Moody Bible Institute. And um, I love him. He, he's, he's a great man, a godly man. And his book is neglected by most preachers out there. Uh, it's not very well known, but it's a fantastic book. And it's more of a, of a soft theology. And I don't mean soft in a bad way. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's very comprehensible to small, uh, but it's a theology of preaching. And one of the things that he points out is that uh, this whole idea, like, well, I, I just, Lord, hide me. I don't want to be involved in this at all. Just let, you know, Christ shine through. Yeah. And I, he gets, and I appreciate the sentiment, but that's not what God does. He uses people in their personalities and gifts and their mm-hmm. uniqueness to communicate the truth to particular people in particular times. So on the one hand, my primary objective is to make sure that I know, understand, uh, and aim at the congregation that God has given me the privilege of serving. So, and the Puritans were good at this, right? They would always evaluate uh, what is the spiritual temperature of our congregation? Is it, are, are these people by and large suffering um, or are they in a time of ease? Um, right. Are they filled with sorrow or are they filled with joy? Are they burdened with the conviction of their sins or, or are they hard hearted and proud at the moment? And then you got to know the the makeup of your congregation in more detail. Like what, are the spiritual states of the people here more specifically so that when you're preaching to them, you're actually preaching to them, not a generic sermon for everybody, but for that congregation, your personality comes out in that context. And yeah, I do think that preachers wind up connecting with different people in the community because of the way that they communicate. And if the church is healthy, then it might be a good way of people plugging in through that, what we call front door of corporate worship, you know, in our context, where where we minister, it's uh, like our church is very generationally and socioeconomically diverse. We're as diverse as our community is, yeah. uh, which means not very ethnically diverse, mm-hmm. uh, very white, but that's the city and that we're in. So you should reflect that diversity. And what I've found is even with all of my idiosyncrasies, uh, with the particular ways in which God has built me, since we started Redeemer, I made it a point to not hide or downplay who I am uh, and not to make a big deal about who I am, but to just be me. Yeah. And for the past 13 years or so, uh, we've had the highly educated, those that haven't gone to college. We've had uh, people that live below the poverty line and people that make a whole lot of money, uh, professionals, blue collars, and nobody seems to be distracted or disturbed by the way I look or the things that I do that are not wrong, of course. <laughs> so I, I think that uh, depending on where you're at, some of those things might be more important than where we're at. 
our people don't like tattoos, beards, cigars. They don't care. I mean, nobody really cares at our church. And uh, even if they don't like those things themselves, right. it hasn't been a barrier. But at other places, your personality can, and even here, I'm sure, will turn people off. So you just have to be aware of what you're doing and, and, and how you're approaching ministry. And I know this isn't what you asked, but for example, I've had tattoos for a long time, decades, and, uh, but I kept them above the short sleeve mark um, until I was confident that w- where I'm at is where I'm going to more, li- more than likely be, God willing, for the rest of my life, and hmm. nobody here cares. Yeah. It's not a barrier. If I thought that it would be a barrier for me reaching people, then I just would have probably kept them underneath the T-shirt. Yeah. No, dude, that's funny because, I, I mean, that was like three questions down here. So, yeah, um, I'm I'm actually getting a tattoo, another tattoo tomorrow. I have one on my forearm here. And for me, it's been a tool for evangelism. You know, it says, I think, therefore, and it's in Hebrew, I am, a And so I get to use that and talk about apologetics, talk about God's existence stuff, and it's been really fun. And that's the context I'm I'm in, and it's great. Uh, and I'm going to get another one, and I want to get a full sleeve. You know, I want to do the thing. If I were in a, if I were in, well, I don't want to like, throw anyone under the bus, but if I was in like a staunch, more fundy, or I don't know, depending on the the type of Southern Baptist, would it, it if it were to lead people to sin, or if it were to cause them to stumble, it would be like wrong for me to get that. You think if I were their their pastor? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on exactly how that plays out. Yeah. But um, I would never want my freedom, and Paul makes this point, yeah, I would right. never want my freedom, uh, my liberty, to encourage somebody to go against their conscience right. or certainly to encourage them to drift back into what for them was a form of idolatry. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, uh, most people that are most vocal about these, I think, uh, permissible aspects of our lives, maybe whether that's going to see a a violent movie or listening to heavy metal or smoking a cigar, dancing, whatever. Uh, Those are not the people that are, would consider themselves weaker brothers who are likely to be tempted to go against their conscience. They're just people who are uptight. Yeah. And so I really don't have much concern for them. Yeah. I have concern for people that are, you know, tempted to do what is wrong and don't know how to handle their freedom. So in my case, I, God would have to do a lot to put me in a church that is already established and very traditional and doesn't understand Christian liberty, mm. a church that isn't confessional, essentially. Yeah. And uh, I, I probably wouldn't do well there. Yeah. It, just, it just wouldn't work. I don't have the patience or the temperament for that. And my wife and I, when we started church planting, we agreed, because we had to do this before in Kentucky, we're not going to play religious games. Mm. We're, we're, we're going to, as best as we can, live by the scripture, pursue holiness, but we're not playing religious games and conforming to extra biblical standards. We just won't do it. Yeah. And if that means we're going to take hits, then we're happy to do that. Yeah. Man, I love that. That's great. Well, so thinking through the, uh, if we could stick on the, the tattoo subject, uh, because I think it's, it'll, it'll help us think through theology in the church. So someone is like super strong. And then some of my listeners might be like this. I have relatives and stuff and uh, who, who anytime I'm talking about a new tattoo, they're like, you know, the, the Old Testament says don't get tattoos. And I'm, when, when ought that be taught? Like, I, I don't want to be the jerk who's like a, a tattoo apologist and well, exegete that for me, dude. Let's go there. You know, you want to, do you want to get lit up right now? Go to seminary, get taken to seminary. Like, I don't want to do that every time. When does that kind of teaching 
get taught on? Is that like a Sunday school thing where we, where we just do a, a week on tattoos or when are people learning about this kind of stuff? Well, we ought to be teaching this in the pulpit and mm. not just tattoos, but we right. ought to be teaching this in the pulpit, in the small group, in Sunday school, uh, in podcasts. And mm. what we're essentially teaching then is the law. You know, mm. what is the law? Now, as a guy rooted in the reform tradition of a Baptist persuasion, uh, we understand the law uh, to essentially break down into these, these three categories of moral, civil, and ceremonial. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the civil laws for Israel that governed them as a theocracy were necessary to, in some ways, distinguish them from the culture around them, uh, to push uh, the issue of purity and cleanliness and holiness with non-essentially moral ways of living, but for them at that time was good to distinguish them and to demonstrate that the people of God are a peculiar people. Those civil laws were good in that they were extrapolating the principles of the moral law, or the Ten Commandments, and then applying them to very specific situations. So whether it's retributive justice or how to handle specific cases and case laws, those were all very good. Mm-hmm. But the church is no longer comprised in a nation governed as a theocracy. We exist in every tribe, tongue, and nation, and we're governed in local churches by the moral law of God, which stands in effect. Christ fulfilled all of the law. Uh, The civil law has been fulfilled, and we are no longer under the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, The ceremonial laws were fulfilled in Christ, who was the anti-type of all of those promises. So we no longer offer sacrifices or have to Mm -hmm. gather in the temple to burn incense. Uh, But the moral law does remain. And so the Ten Commandments and then extrapolated or uh, perhaps uh, re-proclaimed clearly in the the new covenant, Uh, those remain perpetually binding. So we need to be teaching the law to our people, law and gospel, the the commands or the requirements that God has for his people, and then the promises that God offers his people through Christ. So I think in one sense, it it boils down to, are we going to teach the law? Mm -hmm. And if we do, then this is going to be covered. So that when somebody says, well, doesn't it say in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 19, that we shouldn't have marks on our bodies for the dead or these kind of tattoos, then we can begin to talk about uh, the, the civil law and what that command actually did mean for Israel, how it was associated with paganism and idolatry, and why they were forbidden from doing that. Also understanding that uh, essentially tattoos in and of themselves uh, are not forbidden, but even in that command, it was as tattoos and cutting associated with idolatry that were forbidden mm-hmm. and the civil law is no longer governing us. So that's what I would unpack for people in just about every context. Yeah. So dude, yeah, that's great. I always, uh, I, I think I heard James White talk about this one time and, and uh, there's different interpretations Whatever, some people say it's like on behalf of the dead and maybe they were afraid of evil spirits. And so they were trying to, you know, mark themselves up to hide themselves. But if someone were to today uh, say, well, I'm going to get this tattoo of uh, the eye of Horus or something. Cause I really like Egyptian culture. Would that still fall under? I know. So, so under the uh, tripartite of the law, we are still under the moral, but not ceremony or civil. Someone says, I want to get the tattoo of Horus on my chest, on my arm, uh, uh, the eye of Horus. Is, does that, what, what do you say to that? Like, is that idolatry? Cause it's a, for this false Egyptian God, but uh, maybe they're not worshiping him. They just like the, the way it looks. Is that, does that rightly fall under the uh, prohibition of of uh, Leviticus back there? 
Well, I wouldn't say that anything would fall under the prohibition of Leviticus as applied to the church today directly. Okay. Implicitly, it could. Yeah. Um, and again, it would be it would fall under the the command to only have one God and to worship mm-hmm. Him purely in spirit yeah. and in truth and all of that. Um, people have been getting tattoos since we discovered you could put indelible ink in the <laughs> dermis, right. right? And we've been right. doing it forever. And people have done it for all kinds of reasons. It was for yeah. beautification. It was for uh, military significance, uh, cultural distinctions. So of course it was, has had religious connotations. It was never only one thing. Mm. So when people are getting tattoos, they're getting them for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And if somebody wants to get a tattoo of, pick it up eye of Osiris or whatever. Yeah. Um, I would caution them to think through what they are doing and why, <laughs> uh, not only because it could be confusing to people, which doesn't make it sinful. Right. Uh, but I would want to know in any case, when somebody's getting a tattoo, I would want them to think through, why am I getting this? Because while we're at, we're free to get a tattoo, I believe um, it's still very possible and very likely to sin in the midst of getting tattoos. Yeah. Uh, for example, I- am I getting tattoos to simply draw attention to myself, uh, to make myself uh, a-, a topic of conversations? Am I trying to, you know, present myself as, as something other than what I am? Is it for pride? Hmm. Uh, you know, those, th- those are wrong reasons to get a tattoo. It doesn't even have to be explicitly of, of a false deity. Um, however, if somebody says, well, I've, they might have a legitimate reason for putting up an Egyptian God on their, on their arm, uh, depending on what they're trying to communicate with it. Right. So I don't, I mean, it's probably not a good idea. I, I wouldn't do it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I try to be careful. My tattoos generally have uh, theological significance uh, except for the terrible tribal art I was getting in the nineties. Forgive me. Um, but yeah, I, I encourage basically when people want tattoos, I, I tell them, don't do it. Uh, everybody's doing it. If you want to be different, then don't get one. Right. Uh, they hurt. They're expensive. So you probably shouldn't. And not because it's wrong, but because, you know, what's the point? But mm. if they're really committed to it, then I talk to them about like, okay, well, you got to think about what you're going to get, why you're going to get it, and what's the impact that that's going to have on your life because it's with you forever unless you go through a painful, expensive laser removal surgery. Yeah. So I, I think you got to walk through it. I'm I don't think it's it's a good habit to say a tattoo of anything other than something that is explicitly Christian is a bad idea. I, I think that's a bad idea to say yeah. something like that. But I would I would be careful and caution people from getting something that is associated with another religion, not because it's necessarily sinful to do so, but it could be. Hmm. And it might not be. It, it might work against what you're trying to accomplish, right, with, yeah. with, your, with your purpose of tattoo. So you just got to think through it. Uh, but in general, my, my personal opinion would be like probably I would encourage you to get something else. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good, man. So if you're out there and you're about to go get that horse tattoo or Cyrus, just check yourself. Uh, Joe, man, so I, I study systematic theology here, and the Lord's working on my heart, dude. I I – I'm in class with a lot of pastors and I love pastors and I don't like pastors as well. I mean, whatever, but in class, uh, sometimes we'll, we'll be talking about a philosophical problem or a theological problem and, and dudes will pull out the pastor card and they go, you know, well, from a pastoral perspective, and then they go on to never answer the question and I get all frustrated. Uh, when it comes to 
being a pastor who is a theologian, right? So R.C. Sproul said, everyone's a theologian. He's got a book. I think, I think that's the title. Everyone's a theologian. How does theology get into the church? So you can, you, you preach it. We talked about that. You, you want to have a good head and heart relation there. Should, should there be Sunday school classes or does this happen uh, during small groups? Like when do you talk uh, eschatology? Is that also from the pulpit or what, what do you think about that? You asked a lot there. Sorry. <laughs> um, let's 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 define theology mm-hmm. and um, and go from there. So the way that yeah. I define theology, I mean, most commonly it's the knowledge of God or the study of the knowledge of God or the science and the art of studying God. Um, what I say is that theology is the knowledge of God personally experienced and publicly expressed, mm. because theology, meaning God words, right? Theology yeah. is not simply knowing about God. And it's not, I don't even believe theology is the study of God. I think it is the knowledge of God uh, that we have from the scripture as we are enlightened by the Holy Spirit. It is the, the knowledge of God that is personally experienced. So it's, it involves study. It involves uh, rigorous hermeneutics. It involves all of that. But theology really isn't theology until, for me, until I understand it and believe it, and then am expressing that or teaching that in some way, hmm. uh, either implicitly or explicitly. So yeah. a, a lot of people are sa- are satisfied with, like, I just like to study theology, and it's something that I do in, in my own time. Uh, but I would argue that proper theology is to know God, which demands a study, but then the God that you know is worth making known, and that's the calling, right? To mm-hmm. proclaim his excellencies, who called us out of darkness into light. You can't proclaim his excellencies unless you know what those excellencies are. Right. You cannot praise him for who he is unless you know who he is, that God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's theology. Yeah. That's Bible. So it needs to be understood, experienced, and then expressed. So that's what I would say theology is. And all preaching and teaching if we're preaching and teaching from the scripture is inherently theological, mm-hmm. you, you can't get away from it. Right. So I think it happens in every environment in which the church exists, whether that is small group, Sunday school or pulpit ministry, it exists in all of that in discipleship one-on-one. And in terms of like the, well, from a pastoral perspective, that's always a good question for us to ask because mm. Again, it's the knowledge of God personally experienced and publicly expressed. So how do we publicly express or teach this doctrine, these truths, in a way that people can understand and receive? Mm-hmm. That's ultimately the pastoral task, to not overwhelm and, and, and choke people with mm-hmm. the truth, but to feed them in a way that they can actually digest it. So like a common example is those who die in infancy. And uh, there are a, a few views that, that Christians hold. And in the Reformed tradition, there are two basic views that are held, right? That all who die in infancy um, are elect of God, mm-hmm. not because they die in infancy. Those that are dying in infancy are dying in infancy as they are the elect of God, but whatever. They would argue if you die in infancy, you, you are the elect, they're going. Others would argue, well, it's, uh, there are some that are elect and, and some that aren't. And then there are some, very few, who would argue if you die in infancy, you're going straight to hell. There is no hope for you because you can't exercise faith and repentance. Right. But in my reading and interactions, it's the former two that are generally held. Regardless of the view that you hold, how you talk to people who are experiencing loss and how you walk people through suffering and affliction and 
perhaps the most devastating loss that they will experience. And I've had to do this on multiple occasions as a pastor. Uh, what doesn't help is to simply throw out bullet points of systematic theology, right. but to help them to see the truth of God and the work of God in their lives in such a way that they can begin to rest upon it and rely upon it. So the pastoral question is good, but it can also be used as an excuse to not ever say anything. Yeah. And yes, eschatology, of course, it comes into play. There is no Christian faith without eschatology. Yeah. Any pastor who avoids eschatology isn't serious about theology and isn't serious about guiding his people uh, into heaven because yeah. heaven itself is eschatological, yeah. right? right? The eternal right. state is eschatological. doesn't mean that you have to and you shouldn't be camping out on millennial issues all the time. But this year, I'm taking our people through the book of Revelation. Hmm. And so uh, obviously there's a lot of eschatological truth in that book. And so we, we, we have to teach all of it, and there is simply no way to effectively teach or preach and produce well-rounded, mature disciples if you aren't emphasizing at least where necessary and appropriate and where it's helpful, uh, the return of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal state. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. I can't believe you you hammered all those questions that I tossed out at you. That was great. And you took them one by one. I don't know if I did. I might have forgot some. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So, Joe, uh, do you think, under your definition of theology, which I thought was great, is everyone a theologian? To one degree or another, yes, because we all have concepts of God mm -hmm. that we either that we derive experience from, and that somehow comes out in our lives. But certainly every Christian is inherently a theologian you, yeah. because you cannot, you cannot believe in Christ without theology. Right. Right. Like right. I remember as a student, I went to Moody Bible Institute. I didn't fit in. I don't fit in. Any, I only fit in a redeemer. I didn't fit in a Moody. I didn't fit in at Southern seminary. I don't fit in in the SBC. Mm -hmm. I don't fit in. But, um, but I'm happy to be a part of all of those, yeah. those institutions and those people, great people. Uh, but when I was at Moody, uh, especially early on, I was super arrogant, super combative. I was a typical, annoying, awful Calvinist. Mm -hmm. But I remember this senior who told me, I don't need that theology crap. Yeah. I just need my degree. And I was like, all right. And the other thing he said was, is um, uh, theology is not important. doesn't matter. I just, what matters is loving Jesus. And we've all heard that before. And you know where I'm going because the follow-up question is, okay, who is Jesus and what does it mean to love him? That's theology. Right. Yeah. So when Jesus says you have to, uh, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, that's a theological statement, a profound theological statement that should upset you if you don't receive it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there is no sense in which you can be a Christian and not be a theologian. The issue is, is are we striving to be the best theologians that we can be? Yeah. I'm never going to be on the level of uh, Dr. Jim or Sam, Drs. Jim or Sam Renahan uh, or R.C. Sproul, but, uh, but I can be the best theologian that I can be mm -hmm. by pushing myself to constantly understand uh, the word of God, uh, to benefit from the teachers and preachers that God has given the church over the centuries, learn from them, disagree with them, whatever, but to become the best theologian I can, which should mean both <laughs> doctrine and devotion in my life. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. I love that. Um, okay, I want to talk. Well, I want to talk about the academy and and pastors um, because Trinity is kind of a weird spot, man. It's uh, it's it's academic theology for sure, and there's and there's pastors. It's a divinity school. Right. What? How much? Um, how much should the pastor be kept abreast or whatever of current theology? 
like to, to combat it, I guess, or to appropriate it. Should they be thinking that at all? Or should, should pastors go to a, an older creed and say, this is, you know, 1689, 1646. And this is kind of where I live and I'm, I'm cool letting them do their own thing. What's the interaction between the pastor and the academy, I guess, in your mind? Well, I, I've seen it happen quite a bit where, and I'm speaking now in the context of Baptist life, because that's what yeah, I'm right. most familiar with, but a lot of Baptist pastors um, haven't given themselves to rigorous study since seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, they just haven't. And I, and I've talked to them about this. Uh, I've, I've met many pastors, uh, my senior by far, although I'm closing in on that gap, mm-hmm. uh, who still like, and I've had them say like, man, I don't know about election. I've never really figured that out or studied it or landed on a position. Right. For me, I think that's inexcusable. You don't have to hold my view. But the Bible does talk a lot about predestination and election. And as a master of divinity, as a shepherd of the church, you had better have your best understanding of it so that you can feed and lead your people. Hmm. So uh, on the one hand, I think it's really important for pastors to uh, continue to study, to continue to read and understand the the thoughts, uh, the philosophies of the day, because those are the issues, many of those are issues that are going to be influencing and intersecting with their people. So if you're going to lead your people through a particular culture in a particular time, then you have to know, right, the the spirit of the age. You need yeah. to know what what they're thinking, what's being pushed at them so that you can then offer them the truth. So in my case, yeah, I'm old school. I've been old school for a, a long time. I, I, I've, I've landed uh, in the Reformed Baptist tradition or particular Baptist tradition because I believe that confessionally that is the best articulation of the faith that really resonates with and reflects what I read in scripture. So that's mm-hmm. why I went there. Um, but to properly preach that, to properly express the knowledge of God today, I can't just express it in a vacuum. Right. It has to intersect with, contradict and conquer the the false ideas and idols of the day that people are wrestling with yeah so yeah you you you, you should it doesn't mean that everybody needs to be reading you know everything by every theologian and, mm-hmm. and we have different temperaments and capabilities but there's there is no excuse to not to continue to read and study you should Every pastor should be reading theology. They should be reading books on piety. They should be reading uh, current events. They should have some grasp, uh, a, a significant grasp, on what their people are being confronted with. Yeah. Man, that's good. Yeah, that's a really good word. Of the inexcusable stuff. Getting me all fired up. Getting worked up here. I just, look, man, it, I, I'm super chill with, <laughs> with Christians because, yeah. with church members, because we're all the same, right? We're struggling. We have different temperaments. Yeah. You know, there are elders in our church that are so far beyond me and my capabilities in certain areas. So I know that not everybody's going to be the same. Yeah. But if you're in leadership, bro, then there are certain, like one of the things that I, I always laugh at is when somebody says something like, how can you be so open about smoking a cigar or whatever? Yeah. Uh, aren't you held to a higher standard? And my response is higher than what? Higher than Jesus standard? Higher than the <laughs> scripture standard? No, I'm not held to a higher standard. Pastors are not held to a higher standard than any other Christian except the, the, that you have to be able to teach. Um, but we are held to that standard and expected to maintain that standard. So the, the, the standard itself is established by scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And those in leadership are supposed to function within those standards. And so when I see pastors that don't take their calling seriously, their privilege seriously, uh, when they're coasting by, uh, becoming lazy or opportunistic, I have a problem. So I, I have much less patience with pastors that are not doing their job because they're not just responsible for themselves. They're right. fundamentally responsible for others. Yeah. Gosh, uh, dude, I love that. I love that. So, so moving down, uh, down to the, the lay person as, uh, as a theologian, like what, what does that look like? I know we don't, uh, there's, we already talked about there people have different capacities, different tolerance, different, uh, capabilities. Some people like to listen to podcasts. Some people like to read books. What is it? What does it mean to be like a, a lay theologian? Is every, is every, um, is every man and woman, should they be engaged in, in reading, listening to th- like theology other than scripture interpretation, thinking through what, what does the lay theologian do? What does it look like to be a lay theologian? I guess. I think the baseline ought to be that the members of a church are fed and challenged theologically from their leadership. Yeah. And if they're taking advantage of that, so if the leadership is doing its job and they're taking advantage of that, that's enough. Mm-hmm. Um, those that want to go further, then we have 2000 years of amazing <sighs> teaching. Good grief. It's ridiculous. We have the internet. We have everything for free almost. It, yeah. I mean, there, there are so many opportunities. So honestly, I don't expect the people of Redeemer Fellowship to be reading the books that I read, and though I recommend books often. So people that want to go further and want to continue to develop, it's very good and healthy for them to press into that. Other people don't. We have a godly woman in our church. I'm not going to say her name. Godly woman. And uh, she's one of our senior saints, right? She's been around for a long time. And she's known some of our people since they were little kids, right? So like she's been around godly woman loves jesus loves the church just awesome and she's 100 all the time doesn't pretend and most of our people are that way but she just does not pretend (laughs) and i i remember she was in a sitting around a bunch of ladies that were theology nerds talking about the books that she read and she was like oh i hate to read i don't like reading i just read my bible and nobody nobody was like oh my (laughs) you're you're not you're not in the club with us i don't understand like oh because that's just how she's wired. She's, she's not a fan of reading books. So mm-hmm. um, I think if you're getting fed uh, from the pulpit, uh, if you're getting fed by your church, you are fine. But we do – whatever it is, we need to strive to become better theologians. And the reason we need to become better theologians is because we all kind of suck at it naturally, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it, just because you have a brain doesn't mean you're right. Right. And none of us have perfect theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dare you to believe and then tell Parker that you have perfect theology uh, because, uh, because you aren't perfect. Your faith, your repentance isn't perfect. You're going to misunderstand or at least misapply certain aspects of scripture. So you should be constantly reforming your understanding of theology, not to match anything other, but what is revealed in scripture. Yeah. Like I want to be 1689. I mean, I'm dumb enough to get it tattooed on my, yep, it's our background right now too. Yeah. I, I want to be, 1689. I like black and white. I like things to match, be simple, but I have an exception in the 1689. And it's, it's a very humbling thing for me to say, you know what? 
I love everything in the 1689, but there's this aspect here where it talks where I, I take exception and I, I find myself disagreeing with men much smarter than me. And, uh, but I'm, I'm compelled by the scripture and my conscience to go in a slightly different way. Yeah. And that was a change that I did not want to make because, you know, in my pride, I just want to be right. what I want to be. I, yeah. I like things to kind of line up. And I continue to find that things are just more complicated than I initially think. And so I've had to adjust over the past, what, 30 years of following Jesus, my understanding of God to be more in line with scripture, not to be more in line with what I like. I mean, I just told people on Sunday, I was reading a portion of Revelation. And I said, does that make you feel uncomfortable? Something that I read. And I said, it makes me very uncomfortable. What Hmm. Jesus says there makes me uncomfortable. Hmm. And it's okay. That's okay. My job isn't to be comfortable with it. My job is to understand it, Hmm. to embrace it. And so let's let's allow the scripture in its context, in its genre, uh, to inform us what this means and then deal with it. I don't have the option. I mean, the Christians, we don't have the option to just – we shouldn't to just pick and choose what we like. Yeah. Yeah, that makes me uncomfortable. And if nothing makes you uncomfortable in scripture, I just wonder, are you really, are you really thinking through it, thinking right. it through? Hell makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Like my understanding of hell makes me uncomfortable. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that there's something in me that goes, Ooh, conscious eternal torment. I would vote for a different option. <laughs> I would totally vote for a different option. Right. I would right. vote for annihilationism in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And there are some brilliant people who are annihilationists. I know that, right. but Scripture in my conscience won't let me do that. So that's the task is like, as we're reading scripture, it's going to confront us and our presuppositions, which we all have. So now, uh, what is the best way for us to work through that and, and to kind of parse it all out so that we can say, I need to let go of this presupposition and then take this position that I didn't formally take. And one of the only one of the best ways for us to do that is to be fed by good preachers and teachers. This is why God gave the church preachers and teachers for all this talk about you know, the, the priesthood of the believers and, and, and the perspicuity of the word, all true and good. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't tell us to just figure it out. Right. He said, I've, I've given you preachers and teachers. I want you to listen to them. Not that yeah. they're always going to be right, but listen to them. And they are a great help to us growing theologically. Yeah. Dude, just on that point of preachers and teachers, do you see that as um, two words expressing the same thing or there's two different are those genuinely two different offices? There's a teacher and there's a preacher and the, the two are different. Well, I would think most of the time we're talking about the office of elder, right? There, so there are really, okay. there are only two offices. There's mm-hmm. elder and deacon. Those are the only two offices. Okay. So if we're talking about the office of elder, then I would say elders must be able to teach, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think scripture... Um, pushes teaching and preaching into radically different categories like okay. we tend to. I yeah. think there's a lot of overlap there. But you have elders must be able to communicate the truth of God to the people in a way that they can understand it. I do think that preaching has more than the communication of confession or truth. It does aim at the heart. Yeah. So I think good teaching – will also aim at the heart, but the emphasis might be more on information. And good preaching yeah. has an emphasis on the heart, but it can't get there without the information. Yeah. So I think you might you definitely in the church do have teachers who aren't preachers. Okay. Right? People that will people that will teach and lecture uh, and do a great job. But preaching put in the context of corporate worship on Sunday morning, it 
involves more than just teaching. So we have teachers in our church. We have preachers in our church. And we, and I think if you are a preacher, you are a teacher. Right. But if you're a teacher, you're not necessarily a preacher. Dude, that's so good to hear. I love that. I, I do not want to preach. Uh, I love to teach. I would love to Sunday, you know, I've done that before and I, I love Sunday morning. Give me some kind of blackboard or whatever. Like, let's do that. And I aspire to be an elder, man. I want so badly, like, to be Elder Parker, man. I want to be some old, you know, funny-looking dude. I really want well, you, that. You got, you got the first part down. You got <laughs> funny-looking right. down, so you just got to get old <laughs> Thanks, now. Man. Thanks. I'm getting some grays in here. Uh, but, yeah, man, I like, that's my goal. But I don't want to be a preacher. And it, it is kind of difficult going to a seminary where it's like, well, then what are you doing, man? Like, this is what we do. And it's like, no, no, I want to be, like, a teaching elder, like, can I just do that? I don't want to be up on Sunday morning unless I have to, right? I have to fill in. I think that's probably part of it, but I think that's the thing, right? Elders are supposed to be able to teach, but do they have to be able to preach? It depends on how you mean it, right? Again, yeah. I don't think it's super simple. Yeah. So like we have, we have elders in our church. Any of our elders could go up on a Sunday morning and teach the word of God. Yeah. Uh, but they don't all have this gift of preaching. Yes. I'm yes. not a super gifted guy. I'm good at like one thing. I'm good with words. <laughs> and I only know that. I honestly only know that I only, I only halfway believe it because the church has told me that for so long. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm a guy that I, I generally think I suck at everything. I don't have a lot of confidence in myself. Hmm. I have very little confidence in myself. Um, I, I never feel good about what I do. Just hmm. whatever. It's how I'm wired. Yeah. But, um, but I do have confidence in God and in his calling on my life. That has been affirmed by the local church. So over the years, I've learned to just go, trust the Lord, listen to his people, and do the one thing that I'm good at. But not everybody can preach well on a Sunday who is an elder at our church, but everybody can teach. So I yeah. wouldn't hesitate to put any of them up there on a Sunday morning in a pinch. Like, hey, you know what? We don't have a preacher. We do have a teacher. And they'll get up there. And is that preaching? Well, yeah, okay, yeah, it, it's, it's preaching. It's just going to be more teaching heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't even know if it's helpful to to draw a sharp line of distinction between yeah. the two. Biblically speaking, culturally, it makes sense. But yeah. biblically speaking, I don't know that there's much of a difference. I think that if if you were up on a Sunday morning, you're going to have a, a style and a flavor that is perhaps different from the regular preacher. But if you're communicating the knowledge of God and you're encouraging these people to embrace it and experience it, that's yeah. preaching. Yeah. I mean, preaching is the heralding of the truth. Right. In, in such a way that people receive it with gladness. Yeah. You, that's, you're doing that in your podcast. Right. I mean, <laughs> preaching. Yeah. I mean, as far as I, my reading of, of the New Testament is uh, it, people are preaching the gospel anytime they're talking to people about Jesus. Hmm. So but formally, culturally, contextually, yeah, preaching tends to take a somewhat of a different form. But even then. I mean, you look at you look at some of the the famous preachers uh, throughout history. Some of them were very staid and steady. They weren't very animated. Mm-hmm. You know, others are very um, passionate and uh, and expressive. So I think some people get confused about it in terms of personality. Yeah. But it really comes down to: Am I communicating this truth, aiming at them to embrace it and to experience it? And it's not always all right. So here's here are five things right. that uh, that you need to do today in response to this. That's oftentimes good, but sometimes the application is now believe this. Yes, dude. That's the whole application. Like you, if you yes. believe this, then then 
It's going to change how you interact with people. So it's not mm-hmm. even that you're supposed to, the emphasis in some of our preaching isn't that you must do, but that you must believe. And in believing, this is where the job of the preacher comes in. Now that you've believed this, it's going to help you uh, understand your current context and your situation. It's going to comfort you. Mm-hmm. Or it's, so sometimes it's not as simple as, that's why I always got C's in preaching class. Because in preaching class, they were like, you have to have illustration. I don't, I don't ever paid attention. Uh, <laughs> every point has to have explanation, illustration, application, or yeah. some order. Sure. And I just was like, I'm not doing that, man. I, I'm just, and again, that's a, probably a, a, a pride thing. Mm. I'm going to preach to the students in a way that I believe they will receive this well. Yeah. So I know that those are helpful tools that we all need to learn, but I'm not going to waste this opportunity to talk to these people. So I always went my own way. And um, so I, 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 that's, I guess that's what I would say about the whole preaching thing. So I think yeah. you getting up to do your thing is great. I think knowing your strengths and knowing like, hey, listen – uh, I am going to lean more towards the intellectual end of things. I'm going to emphasize uh, like complex, concentrated thought that can then be translated into people for them to understand. Whereas, so in other words, you're going to show a lot more of your work and your calling than I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting into like, I'm not getting into all the Greek and stuff when I'm preaching on Sunday. Yeah. I, I want people to trust their English Bibles and just yeah. read them and believe them. I will explain, hey, you know, this word here, uh, you know, when it, when it says uh, angel, angelos, whatever in Revelation. Uh, I, but I won't even get out. I said this word angel actually means a couple of different things, and I'll explain it like that. But yeah. um, I don't show much of my work, whereas other people are going to show a lot of their work, and that's really important depending yeah. on what you're trying to do. Yeah. Dude, that's so, like, freeing because – well, I don't know, man. I, I think you do a great job of preaching. Like Julie thinks that, like we love you. And so it's like, man, if I, if I gotta be like Joe, dude, I don't want to do that. Uh, but it, it is, so it's, it's a reminder that I constantly need, like God made me a certain way. He's gifted me certain ways. He made all of us different ways. And you know, there's 30 people in this preaching class, whatever, and none of them are going to be the same. And God's going to bring them to different places and different goals. They're probably not all going to be preachers anyways. But yeah, dude, I'm I'm encouraged because it reinvigorates my love for like wanting to be an elder and not have to preach every Sunday. Like I, like, I you be, be you, yeah, you be you. I mean, it's the most freeing thing in the world. I, I mean, I haven't, I've never listened to preachers online. I don't do it unless yeah. it's a special one-off. But hey, it's a really good message. You should check it out. But on the regular, I've never done that because what I found early on when I did the pe- the preachers that I was familiar with. Uh, I started to emulate that. Yeah. And I, I don't think that that's, that's helpful. I, I think, you know, you need to develop your own voice and your personality should come out. So you be you, and that's going to connect with all kinds of people and it won't connect with others. And that's fine. That's why we have multiple elders. That's why we have multiple churches Yeah, because not any one person or church is going to reach everybody. Some people yeah. are drawn to redeemer uh, because of the way that I preach other people, or maybe they stick initially because of that. Um, mm-hmm. But other people, it's not even that other people uh, come to Redeemer through the invitation of a friend. And it's more the community of faith. It's like, Oh man, these people are the best people. I just want to be around them. Yeah. It's there's different reasons why people are going to stick. But I think the, the one of the important things is, is, you know, as you work out your theology and you understand your philosophy of ministry, you be yourself and don't try to be anybody else. Because if you're trying to be somebody else, number one, you're going to be a worse version of them yeah. and you're going to be a worse version of yourself. Yeah. You be the best version of yourself. That's what God's called you to be. Yeah. That's why I've never understood these guys that preach other people's sermons. I, you know, 
again, I don't think that I am a great preacher. I believe that I'm a good preacher because the church continues to tell me that. Mm-hmm. However, I still like my preaching better than other people's preaching. And mm-hmm. in that I've never been tempted to preach somebody's sermon. Even right. early on when I would look at what other people have done with a passage, I always think like, I like my way of doing this better. I'm just going to yeah. do it my way because that makes more sense for me and for my people. I would rather spend 15 minutes in prepping for a sermon on Sunday and do my own than copy somebody else's. Right. I would feel more confident because it's not about me. It's about the word. And I'm just going to give what I understand about the word. So, yeah, yeah be yourself, man. Yeah. You're that. a good dude, man. Like you honestly, Parker, you are a super smart, humble, fun guy. That's my assessment of you. For Thanks, me. man. And I, I think that is going to take you a very long way in helping people walk with the truth. Because the people that are super hard and divisive and angry, they are magnetic for a specific kind of people. That's true. They reach one kind of person. Yeah. But the person that is humble and explanatory and kind and like they're going to reach a much broader range of people in mm. that. So that's why, yeah, do you, don't do – I won't name anybody. Don't do the other thing. <laughs> Thanks, dude. That's huge. I, I, that's so encouraging. I'm going to have to play this back a couple times. Uh, I want to talk just uh, as, as we close up here, 1689 and, and Doc and Devo stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. So this was true when I went there. Maybe it's not. Maybe you've changed some stuff, uh, you and the elders there. But it wasn't like a confessional, like if you go to Redeemer Fellowship, you have to affirm or at least take – minimum or a maximum of one exemption from the 1689. It was like, yeah, you know, Joe has that. He's got a tattooed on his, on his uh, hand there. And if you want to talk to it, yeah. And, and he'll, it'll come out, but it wasn't like, this is a 1689 right. have to believe church, even though right. would you, you, you guys would call the church a reformed Baptist church, right? Yeah. We're very open about that. We are a reformed Baptist church. Uh, we're, we're confessional. Uh, we, what we, what we preach is going to be reflected uh in that confession or is reflective of the confession, I guess it would be a better way to say it. Hmm. But even a lot of reformed Baptist churches have come to understand that you, if you're reaching people in particular, <laughs> uh, you can't expect new converts or people that are moved into the area who are unfamiliar to sign off on a confessional statement that is a few hundred years old and put together by the most brilliant minds of the time that most pastors today don't even fully understand. Right. So like, let's get real. You can't expect them. Um, so what we've always done is we've said, hey, listen, um, to be a member at Redeemer Fellowship, and our membership process is, is involved, but to be a member, one of the things is is uh, you understand by the end of the four-hour class that we teach and all that, what we teach, mm-hmm. what our perspective is, what we value, and that you will be submissive to the teaching by not being divisive where you disagree, by not sowing discord where you disagree. Um, that's how you're submissive to the teaching. And if you can't do that, then you can't join. You shouldn't join. Because if you wind up being divisive uh, over our teaching, then you would come under church discipline because we're teaching our best understanding of the truth. You can disagree. Like we've had, we're a a complementarian church, Mm -hmm. soft complementarian church, as some people would say, (laughs) uh, because we do believe in the Danvers statement. We do believe that, um, there are differences between men and women and in the church and in the family, there are roles that are limited, right? Yeah. So, uh, in the church, we do believe that the role of pastor is only available to qualified called men, yeah. uh, not just men qualified called men. Right. And we do not believe that office is open to women. 
Uh, we think the office of deacon is open to both men and women. And mm-hmm. in the home, we do believe that the husband uh, functions as the head of the family. So, uh, but we, you know, we don't think it's wrong for women to be police officers or, you know, whatever, or to read scripture in a service, like, so, whatever. Right. Um, oh, wait, what was the question? I got all distracted. I, was I don't know. Oh, well, I was so into where we were going with that. Your complementarian church, oh, signing off and not being. Confession. Dis- yeah. So, like, so we've had egalitarians in our church. Mm-hmm. And they were full on. They think we think women can be pastors and they know we don't think women can function as pastors in the local church, but it was never an issue. Yeah, it was never. They were like, yeah, oh, so we disagree on that. That's fine. Everybody's cool. Everybody's yeah. fine. Um, so our people have to understand. Basically, what they have to affirm is a, a proper understanding of, of of the scripture and of the gospel and some of those related matters. Um, and for us, that boils down to they take a four hour class. Uh, they fill out a long questionnaire. And then they are interviewed by an elder, and uh, then they sign the uh, the church covenant, and uh, then they are voted in. And uh, and if they obviously if they don't if they don't line up, they're they're not going to be presented to the body for vote. Right, right. But yeah, that's how that's how we do it. So it really comes down to one on one interactions with all of our people. Yeah. Okay. Well, so then you you uh, you and Jimmy started Doc and Devo, and you went. You, I mean. Are you guys done? I don't think you're done with the 1689 yet. Are you? Have you oh, made yeah, it long done? Now we're in the Baptist catechism. Oh, snap. Okay. I got to catch up. Uh, usually it's like, oh, dude, I can't. I'm dropping what I'm going to do because whatever you talked about was so interesting. I have to listen right now. It's usually <laughs> usually how I listen to Doc and Diva. Um, so did you start this as like a ministry to the church, to those who do want to grow in their knowledge more? Or was this always intended like a, a broader reach? We've been studying these things. We want to get this perspective out there. Uh, well, yeah, thoughts on that? I've always felt a calling. Uh, not always. Um, I'm trying to not ramble here. Uh, I was converted, felt called to pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. uh, but I wasn't sure. It was very broad. What's this going to look like? Is it going to be in Germany? Is it going to be in the U.S.? And what's the emphasis? And uh, by about four or five years in, I was pretty convinced that it would be pastoral ministries in North America with an emphasis on reformation and revival mm-hmm. um, it, within our local churches. And that's always been a part of it. So once I felt like, okay, I've got a good grasp on what I'm supposed to be doing here at Redeemer, and I'm constantly working to improve on that, um, I thought like, well, what can I do to help people outside of our church uh, grow spiritually as well with this emphasis that we have on doctrine and devotion. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about, you know, I've written some books and uh, I've written for like table talk or whatever. I've done that kind of stuff, but I've always enjoyed uh, long form radio and now podcasts since before it was even really called podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to offer, I wanted to do something in the podcast format that was different than what was typically offered because in the reformed world, all you had was, Preaching and teaching right. was pretty much all that was available at the time, which is great, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, but I'm not listening to that stuff because I read books or I'm in my church. Right. So what we wanted, what uh, initially what I thought was, is I need a co-host that will allow us to have a longer discussion, that it would be more relaxed, but it would have this emphasis to it. And I wasn't really sure how that would ever work out. Well, once Jimmy and I became really good friends and we started talking about this concept, it was a no-brainer for us because 
we figured out all we need to do is throw up microphones and record us with what we're normally doing, right. which is talking, talking theology, yelling at each other and having fun. <laughs> and like some people love doctrine and devotion uh, and some people hate it. And most of the people that don't like it don't like it because there's too much chit chat talking <laughs> over each other and arguing in segments that aren't about anything serious. Yeah. Um, but that's how we are, whether we've traveled a lot together, we go all over, we, like we're not putting on any kind of act or affect. We're not scripting anything. That's just how we are all the time. So uh, we thought, look, let's just be us and we'll start talking about doctrine and devotion and see if people like it. Hmm. And turns out a lot of people liked it because it felt like, oh, we're in a room and we're hanging out. We're talking about these things. And that's when we thought, like, well, why don't we actually walk through the 1689 uh, and not at a at a at a high level, right? At a basic level, yeah. Because that's what we want to do. We want to we want to be a way of introducing people, not only to experiential theology, but even specifically the Reformed tradition, and not just Reformed Baptist theology, but the Reformed tradition more broadly. And I can't I can tell you, man, we've had a ton of people tell us, uh, I I embrace the Reformed uh, tradition. Uh, a lot of our listeners have become Presbyterian, <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> others have become Reformed Baptist. We've had men converted while listening to the podcast because their wife was like, hey, honey, I want you to listen to these guys. I know you don't like the church. Yeah, yeah, you've yeah. been burned. And uh, but I want you to listen to these guys. And we've had testimonies. These guys writing us telling us like, man, I was converted and this is what happened. So if for us, it was just like so I guess was, what I'm saying is, is doctrine and devotion was a way for us to encourage the broader church mm-hmm. uh, outside of our local church by helping them to see the connection between theology and experience in the context of a friendship and two guys that actually like to have a lot of fun and laugh and not take themselves too seriously. Yeah. Dude, I love that. That that was, uh, so my goal for this podcast, uh, half of it is like me teaching, blah, 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 whatever. The other half is exactly what you said. Like, these are conversations I have with people all the time. Like this is, I'd come to La Vida and we'd just be talking like this. And I would just pepper you with questions. I'm like, dude, let's record that. Other people are going to want to yeah. hear that. And so it's, it's, it's been a joy. It's been huge. It's not uh, nothing yet. I don't think there's going to be any like Parker's Pensy's conferences like uh, Doc and Devo. You guys conferences are awesome. Uh, so you don't need to put on a conference. You just need to go and teach at one. That's, <laughs> that's what you do. That would be you sweet. Just, man. Just come in and be the keynote. <laughs> well, you, you, you have a legit mark. Your logo is tight. Oh, thanks, man. Who did that's, that? That's Jordan Singer. Oh, that's why. Okay, yeah. Because Jordan is the, the best. Yeah. He's that, is, um, that is sweet. Yeah, dude. And, and that's a, I met him the first day I went to Redeemer, actually. He's one of my good, close friends, man. We talk all the time. I love him. We both met, we both had like leather uh, briefcases at, at Redeemer. Like, dude, that's sweet. I like yours too. Oh, cool. And now we're friends. So actually, I just, I just remember that's because of Redeemer. There's always oh. something to nerd out about, right? Whether it's a uh, leather or music or yeah, yeah. pencil case, whatever. I know you like your pencil, uh, your leather pencil cases there. I do like my pencils. <laughs> um, okay, dude. So you guys, you guys have a ton of episodes in Doc and Devo. I, I recommend them all the time. I I, uh, I love the podcast myself. Is there like a theological triage kind of thing? Like, like listen to these episodes because they're most important. Listen to episodes on the Trinity. Listen to episodes on this kind of stuff before you go into ones on uh, eschatology or baptism. Any any idea or just jump in whatever whatever excites Man. you. It, it, I should, but <laughs> man, look, my, my full-time gig is very full-time. Like I'm a pastor at this church. Uh, so 
doctrine and devotion gets six to 10 hours of my time a week outside of church time. Yeah. And that's all I'm allowed to give to it per my wife. Right. Like I can top out at 10 hours a week given to that. And yeah. so I don't have time to do a lot of that stuff yeah. uh, to kind of categorize it all. And so honestly, like I'm so busy. Jimmy's so busy. We basically record, put it up and move on. Yeah. So Dude, I, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I mean, for no, like no, you're a, not. a listener coming yeah. in, it was like, no, I, I, I couldn't even tell you That's okay. what I mean. Okay. I couldn't even say where to start. <laughs> uh, I think you could, you could, we just did a discussion with Nick Batzig. Yeah. Um, I met him at Redeemer, man. I love that guy. Yeah. And Nick is awesome. And so let me bring this up because uh, it's a really good conversation. Oh yeah. It was called uh, dueling fundamentalisms mm. is the name of the episode. Yeah. And uh, yeah, boom, there it is. Love that. So um, that's a great interview with a really smart Presbyterian guy. Um, that, that's probably a good one to jump in to hear kind of the flow of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wish, I mean, if I, if doctrine and devotion was what I did, then I think we would have a sort of a section where like, Hey, here's an introduction kind of a thing. But yeah, yeah I would say, uh, honestly, Search the website every okay. This is gonna be a problem. <laughs> we transferred our hosting from one company to another, so all of our episodes are available uh, through podcatchers, but the website is missing about half of them. I'm have to plug them each back in individually. Oh man! But nevertheless, you can search and uh, and find something that you might want to listen to. And if you if you can't listen to it on the website, you can listen to it, you know, on uh, Stitcher or uh, yeah. Spotify or whatever. Yeah. Okay. That's great, man. So, so the things that always get me, like I, I look at the 16 and I'm like, okay, I, I really want to know what they're saying about this. That that's helpful. I'm going to, I'm going to probably put that for next month, but anytime you guys talk any kind of politics, culture, anything like that, I'd usually drop what I'm doing and I'll listen to you guys while I work out. Cause I really, really appreciate uh, you and Jimmy on any kind of cultural stuff, man. I think it's, you guys have a unique perspective and you and him probably, you know, you guys aren't even the same perspective, which is great too. You're close. Um, but it's been We're very close. Yeah. Yeah. It's been so helpful for me, dude. I, I want to like, just thank you for that. But if anyone listening, any kind of cultural stuff, cultural analysis, which is funny because you guys aren't, you didn't set out to be these cultural analysts, you know, but you're doing the work of a pastor doing that publicly. And it's huge. I love it. We do it. We do a little bit more of that now um, because we have what's called all access, which is, yeah. um, it's behind a paywall. So it's more content for people that want to support the podcast. We put out two episodes every week for everybody, but then we have additional content, like five devotions, like Monday through Friday. Uh, so every day you get a devotion during the week. And then we have another uh, special podcast called banter of truth uh, logo designed by Jordan singer. All right. And, um, and so that's where we talk about all kinds of stuff. And you know, people wanted us to talk more about, you know, some of the social political things. And so we wind up, you know, talking about, about those things from our perspective without trying to bind people's consciences. Yes, dude. Uh, because you know, there, there's just a lot to take in and a lot to try to try to understand. But for everybody here, this is more recent Thursday. We're talking about uh, MacArthur's millions. Yeah. Hmm. So, which is uh, Julie Roy's is uh, an investigative journalist. She put yeah. out this, article on john macarthur uh taking issue with him making a lot of money and having a few houses mm -hmm. and it was a pretty incendiary article yeah so we just wound up talking like and we don't plan for this stuff right? let's just we'll sit down we'll talk for 45 minutes about 
pastors and money and, you know, is it, even if these things are true about John, is it wrong for him to own it? So we'll talk about stuff like that more often because it's connected to the local church. Right. And by the way, we don't throw MacArthur under the bus or oh, we're not good. there to defend him or attack him at all. Um, See, that's the best, man. That's that, And that's going to get me like that. That coming out, it's like, all right, well, I just, all my plans are ruined. I got to listen to this really quick or yeah, <laughs> that'll be, that'll be Thursday. Uh, and the thing is like, like I have issues with John, um, mm-hmm is not only his, some of his theology, you know, dispensationalism, but just the way that he tends to engage people in the culture, I have a big issue with, but everything that I know about him from a distance says that he's a godly man that wants to do the right thing. I don't think he's out for, you know, filthy lucre. Uh, (laughs) I, I, I think he's, I think he's uh, a a good godly man in that way. So um, I I think it was a, it was a fun conversation. I'm sure somebody's not going to like what we have to say. That always happens, but most people, most of our listeners are are cool with us. I mean, we did an episode where we told who we were voting for. You know, yeah. a lot of people are afraid to say who they're voting for. We don't care. We're like, no, I'll just say, like, I'm not going to talk about that from the pulpit. Right. It's not appropriate. Yeah. But just hanging out and talking, I'll tell anybody what I'm thinking, who I'm going to vote for. Like, and I'm not even pushing people to vote in a particular way in that. I just like, well, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This yeah. is my perspective on things. And if you have a different perspective and just you're trying to follow Jesus, good, man. Be yeah. faithful. Do your best. I'm not going to be mad about it. Right. Whatever. I think that's so helpful about not binding people's consciences, consciences. And I've, I've, I think I've heard a progression in you guys in that. Cause like when, when Trump first got elected in 2016, you guys were, were joking about someone who voted for Trump and someone who voted for Hillary and they both came in and I knew who they were. Like one of them was in, I won't say, but, but yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I know who he's talking about. And then uh, going in more, you guys talking about it in this next, this past election, it's like, Oh dude, this is, like a public example of how you're supposed to have these conversations and how you're supposed to be able to talk about this. This is actually really helpful. Yeah. It's fun to hear the banter, but it's actually really helpful and instructive. So yeah, yeah, dude, I just, I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan of the podcast. If people can't tell Uh, Joe, where, where can people like find you if they want to see more of your stuff? Uh, Probably at the cigar shop. (laughs) <laughs> oh, you mean online. Okay. So, um, doctrine and devotion.com, uh, the second best podcast you can find on the internet, obviously after Parker's <laughs> Pensies. Um, yeah. So doctrine, devotion.com, uh, you can find us on Twitter at doc and Devo, Instagram at doc and Devo, TikTok, doc and no TikTok. So it would be TikTok. I don't know. We're on there. We have one. Are you guys yeah, like, I don't know what it is. What is it? It's called. So it's TikTok. Oh, I think it's called Talk and Devo. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I, don't, I mean, eventually we'll do something with it. But we, again, yeah. we just don't have time, man. Right. We, just, we don't have time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, social media, you'll find us. Me, Joe Thorne. If you just put Joe Thorne into any search engine, you'll find me. I'm, I'm easy to. I own everything Joe Thorne. I've just always been <laughs> that way. That's I'll just awesome. grab it real quick. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's where we're at, man. And I hope people will check it out. It's uh, If you like fun and chill. And uh, and people talking, great. If you don't want banter, then you're gonna you're gonna have to skip the first three to five minutes. That's right. Yeah, at least that's awesome. Well, Joe, dude, see, thanks so much. It's been so nice just to see you again, man. It's been a while. Hey, man. I miss you. Yeah, dude. We we got to come back. Uh, I don't know. I always feel bad because I'm like, you got to churches right now. You got to sign up and stuff like that. I'm gonna take someone's seat if I sign up to come visit. So we're always like nervous about that. But we want to we want to come. We want to see you guys. We want to see the sign whole up. Group. Yeah, we'll just we'll just kick out Steve McCoy. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. poor Steve, man. I was bad for Steve. All right. Uh, well, this has been Parker's Pensies. Uh, hopefully we can talk some more about this stuff. 
Joe, Anytime. please come back on. That'd be awesome. Uh, but for now, it's going to have to do it. As always, all glory to God.